0: The more clarity you have, it means the less questions you can ask because almost everything is clear. At the same time means that you've already made up your mind about so many things, right? And if you backtrack it, sometimes when you're in ambiguity, it's a good thing. Because when you're in ambiguity, you have the opportunity to see things you've never seen before.
1: On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Carlo Mufuz, a Lebanese-born entrepreneur in the healthcare ed tech space with a passion for creation, guitar playing, and opera singing. We'll learn how Carlo improved his business relationships by getting outside of his comfort zone and taking opera lessons. We'll then follow Carlo's journey that started with him learning of an explosion in his home country to publishing his new book, Reality Check, in pursuit of the right questions. Check out the show. Welcome to the creator community. This is a podcast from book publisher, New Degree Press. I'm your host, John Saunders. The show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1,300 published authors on six continents and have earned the 293rd spot on the Inc. 5000 list. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. This episode is a kickoff to season four. And today I have with me, Carlo Mafuz. Carlo Mafuz is a Renaissance man, an entrepreneur and product development executive in the healthcare and ed tech space with a deep understanding of technology. He works developing products to help improve patient outcomes and driving change in organizations, teams, and individuals. Always curious, Carlo is a firm believer in tech's power to create positive global change. He's a Nava opera singer who heads innovation at a classical music nonprofit company, and now a published author. Carlo grew up in Lebanon, He holds a bachelor's degree from Notre Dame University and an MBA from Georgetown University. In his free time, he enjoys hiking, drawing, photography, and playing classical guitar. Carlo, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you so much, John. It's great to be here.
1: It is awesome to have you. Before we get into this this amazing book that you have coming out here, I'd love to share with our listeners a little bit more about your your career journey and what, what led you to this point here.
0: Absolutely. So as as you said, my journey started in Lebanon, so I was born and raised there. So when I studied uh, computer science with emphasis on computer graphics and animation, actually, back in the day, I started with designing games, doing some motion graphics and animation around the time, and then slowly started transitioning more and more into programming and fell in love with technology in general. I love this fast-paced kind of environment where things are constantly changing and it... uh, there is some significant appeal for me in that. And then of course I moved to the state, I'm still in development, more on SaaS solutions. My latest company where we work on uh, simulation. So we're in the healthcare education sector where we're mostly focusing on training. And I've been in actually that industry for the past decade or so in different uh, functional and technical roles. And uh, most recently, you know, graduated from the executive MBA at Georgetown, which was uh, Go Hoya Saksa. For the most part, it's been a great journey so thus far. And working now at Lehr Medical which acquired us two years back as their director of digital platforms, focusing a lot of the digital transformation initiatives we're doing.
1: A lot of focus on technology, a lot of focus on learning, continuing to educate yourself. What was the what was the driving force to move to the US?
0: You know, the the need for learning and like growth was a little bit driven by career, but at the same time finding I'm not necessarily getting engaged as much in Lebanon. The technology scene in Lebanon was kind of coming up, but not necessarily as quickly. I barely graduated and I was already leading a team building a, you know, a 2D massive MMO game at the time in Lebanon. And I felt like, you know, looking for more at that stage of my life early. So I moved to the States and kind of joined a really amazing team here in DC. You know, it was just challenging me in in ways that was not present for me before. And, And that was super exciting. The kind of been doing that
1: since. Not afraid to challenge yourself and focus on continue the growth. I really appreciate that, which might have led you to getting a book off the ground. Carla. what was that journey like for you? You know, it's, it's all kind of based on this challenge at the end of the
0: day of, you know, constantly challenging yourself. But I have this passion as well of creation. I didn't talk too much about like my uh, more artistic ventures, which I started late in life and like now as well, heading innovation at Lyrica Classic. But it kind of all drove to this moment in 2020 where I was like looking for something to create. I was trying to, I don't know, I felt uh, probably stuck with the COVID and everything else. And uh, coincidentally, I saw your journey through probably Georgetown and uh, your book journey. At the end of the day, I was like, okay, this is might be something interesting. I want to like look into. I've never thought really about writing a book, even though I've you know, I've tried different things from singing, playing guitar, you name it, and all relatively in like late in my life, not necessarily earlier on. So I was like, why not? I think this would be uh, something exciting, and it most definitely delivered.
1: That's awesome. So uh, thank you, social media, right? And uh, following that, exactly. finding a bit about the journey there. That's amazing. So the book is Reality Check in Pursuit of the Right Questions, coming out spring 2022, late spring. Now, Carla, what is What is a reality check? What's it about?
0: Yeah. So reality check, you know, this feeling when you get like, I think in COVID happened to almost everyone where, you know, we were stuck, things were changing very quickly and suddenly your priorities kind of get reoriented, whether you like it or not. And you have these moments where there is a lot of stimuli, but at the same time, so much clarity. And I kind of, that's what happened to me. And that's where reality check came from. It was like, OK, this moment where intense clarity, but not necessarily less things happening or not necessarily like less change. It was in the middle of all of it. And I kind of started getting me down this road of questioning things is like, why now we're paying attention, for example, to healthcare? What, ha- what happened there? Like, you know, nothing is new as far as problems we've had, education, similar things, kids being at home. You know, technology has always been present. The problems are always there, but uh, somehow with COVID, the priorities change. And I kind of was looking—I don't know—to understand that better.
1: What was the what was the first thing that helped you? You know, was there a moment you could take us to that moment, or could you take us to that moment where this entered your radar screen? There was all of these things happening. Life seemed to be accelerating. You know, technology suddenly became even more front and center, or maybe entirely front and center for our lives. You know, was there a reality check moment for you that really helped crystallize this thought for you
0: yes uh, actually uh, so you know 2020 had its uh, kind of problems but for me and kind of being from Lebanon, there was an added layer which happened a little bit in august actually there was this massive explosion which happened at the port in beirut uh, i came to almost like a nuclear bomb and it's mm-hmm. wet my family still lives there even though i've been living here for for a long time so You know, at that moment, the first thing which comes to your mind, you drop everything and you're like, you know, is is everyone okay? Is is, like your attention suddenly, you know, changes what your priorities are, changes. And for me, that moment was 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 that day. And uh, suddenly, like the reality check kind of was so, so present, like, you know, and so strong. Where I was just like seeking, you know, my making sure my family is okay. Thankfully, what no one was close to it, but a lot of people were impacted. Kind of that kicked it this even more, like it gave it the kind of a boost, <laughs> like, okay, you know, it was not necessarily something positive which happened, but nonetheless, kind of intensified this need to understand and be able to gauge this kind of what's a you know, grabbing our attention. And so
1: this sounds like about a uh, Prioritization to me. Is this is this what I'm hearing? Because we have live in this world where we're constantly getting pulled in all these different directions. And the reality check I'm hearing was, particularly with, you know, gosh, is my family safe? All of these things around me maybe aren't as important as I thought they were. Is that what I'm hearing?
0: Pretty much. It's like mm-hmm. how we tackle what matters most, to be honest, is like how, you know, amidst everything we're going through, how we can see these things, right? And what would be an approach for us to ask the right questions to get there? But you know, just change the way we see the problems we're facing and to be able to prioritize them at the end of the day and like a kind of look at them from a different lens or actually see them in the beginning. Like, you know, sometimes they're just completely off radar. Absolutely.
1: You know, uh, it's an interesting point you're making there because right? how do you recognize or, or create these reality check moments? And again, we live in this world where we're jumping from device to device, thing to thing, and our minds are crowded all day long. So how do you find this, this clarity? Yeah, so,
0: you know, I'm an engineer by trade, so I learned a little bit on my engineer. I kind of tried to reverse engineer it for the most part. And what I ended up with is three main kind of pillars, uh, which kind of a reality check moment, if you want sort of speak, uh, builds on. One, which is context. Kind of context sets the stage of the environment that you live in from all of its dimension, whether it's internal or external, all of these things funnel there. Second, time. And this is an interesting notion because there is this notion of past and present and this now moment and what's happening in the now moment, which bring you really to the current context and like getting a very clear read on the current context. And the last was like, it's just the observer, like us who are experiencing this reality check moment. Like what, what is impacting that moment specifically from our observation as us and observers. So kind of these three pillars I shape up the book on, and try to elaborate on each one of them to describe really in entirety what a reality check moment is, how we recognize it, how we can create it if we need to, to some extent, and just have, have that kind of check if you want more often rather than not.
1: Can you take us through another case study through this the three pillar example you just set up and maybe somebody interviewed for the book?
0: yeah absolutely so you know probably one of the key stories especially in the time chapter when we're looking at the now and kind of understanding you know the present moment i call it moment of truth it is you know this sudden yanking you off probably happened for me when the explosion happened in particular where you just kind of grab your attention grab and suddenly things become clear and at that moment for me you know the safety of my family was like the only thing left <laughs> like everything le- went away and one of the stories i got the you know the chance to interview ula helen ula is uh, someone i met in norway he's a design manager and uh, writer and creator for the most part and he shared with me a story about his dad um his dad had alzheimer's at some point in you know around his 65th birthday actually to be exact and what was fascinating in his story is that how he shared that his experience of what happened was not necessarily a bad experience in retrospect to his mom and the details goes that you know he was one time watching his dad with his dad watching a a game like a a sports game and then he realized that you know his dad is no longer catching on what's happening and it was his favorite thing to do and suddenly he realized, oh, like my dad is really sick. Like there's something wrong. Like he, he's changing. And in that moment, in that instant, he looked at it in a different way. He's like, I want to capitalize on my time with him. I want to, you know, make the most out of it. And as a consequence, he ended up creating this, you know, worldwide kind of video of people from around the world saying happy birthday to his dad and it was a very intense emotional moment and kind of a change which happened but i think at the end what was the key takeaway is you know for him the the bad thing still happened like you know it's still very something difficult to go through but it was not necessarily as bad as an experience as he says his mom had and mostly because you know she 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 was having difficulty to let go she was having difficulty to accept the change that is happening. And sometimes our most difficult, you know, aspect of reading the now is accepting the change, which is happening, like, and embracing it to some extent to navigate it differently.
1: So two people living through an identical experience with the same person as the center point had markedly different circumstances. So that's interesting. And, and, you know, I think in the book, you talk about communication and external challenges and how we sort of set or don't set expectations. You know, how do these things affect our outcomes from how we go through life and have reality checks?
0: Yeah. uh, You know, if we move on to the observer specifically, because I consider like anyone who's experienced the observer, there is one dimension which I talk about, especially in communication, which I think is so critical to us because it's our medium of connecting with everyone around us. You know, you ask a question, you you make a statement, uh, you express a feeling, it all goes through communication. And I talk about this thing which is called speak the same language in particular. And the reason it becomes very important is not speaking the same language in the context of, you know, I'm speaking English and you're speaking English, but actually speaking with the terminology that we both understand. And I think there one of the key elements and takeaways, you know, I end up interviewing uh, Jenna Lynn, who was basically... Uh, a sign language interpreter and and she had something which was really key which she said almost as that i don't assume like right i don't make any assumptions i just ask it's as simple as that and it was fascin- fascinating for me because typically when we're speaking we make assumptions that you know certain words we everyone is universally understands simple things as yes no you know okay like any kind of kind of confirmation or just asking about like your identity and different ways, who you are, where you're coming from, your accent, We make tons of assumptions. I think our mind is optimized to do these assumptions. Otherwise we would be overwhelmed, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but recognizing that these are happening kind of gives us this uh, different way at looking where the bottlenecks are. Like at the end of the day, the language we use is, you know, our liberator and at the same time, our constrictor. Anyway, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's the limitations in it, which are, you know, make, allow us to have miscommunication, allow us not to basically be able to engage in the problem, understand the problem, all of these things. At the same time, it's the same gateway to do all of these things. It's like a double-edged sword in a way. So the aspect around it is like really paying attention what we communicate, what not making assumptions, being able, you know, it's very easy to solve this problem by just asking a question, you know, the answer easily solves it and you can move to the next step.
1: Fascinating that you got this lesson from a sign language instructor teacher. That's really interesting because talk about different language and communication style, right? You know, so many times, particularly in work and we're busy and trying to get all these things done and meet deadlines and, and all of these things. And, and, you know, oftentimes there's this miscommunication because we just don't know what the other person is hearing or listening to. And, it, but there's also ambiguity and extremes in these circumstances that, come, that can come about, you know, Carlo in those moments, you know, how do we, how do we find reality checks in these crazy, crazy moments? What's the roadmap? What's the playbook to get that done? Cause it's so easy to get distracted and, and, and feel like we can't take the time to think about it. What's your suggestion there?
0: Yeah. Great question, John there, I think, you know, Ambiguity is a key aspect, which I think more and more of us are engaging with in a day, especially leadership and, you know, a landscape which is continuously changing uh, day-to-day technology, definitely pushing the limits on how fast we're adapting and changing at the same time. And it becomes a really valuable tool for us to measure really the clarity which we have or not have actually and when we're engaging with problems and i think ambiguity can be used as the lever actually by itself i'll give you an example is you know you go into a problem and you the problem domain for you is probably like super clear like you know all of the answers you know everything and i think that's a problem sometimes <laughs> like it's on the you know i'm trying to think about it in an inverse way right You go, the more clarity you have, it means the less questions you can ask because almost everything is clear. At the same time means that you've already made up your mind about so many things, like, right? And if you backtrack it, sometimes when you're in ambiguity, it's a good thing because when you're in ambiguity, you have the opportunity to see things you've never seen before, like, right? And I think we miss that because we think sometimes, and I think technology has, you know, made it worse is that we think we have all the answers and Google can give you an answer within seconds, right, right? But actually we don't. And the fact to accept that there is an opportunity, an answer which we don't know exists and to find it, I think is so much valuable. And it kind of by itself allows for you know this clarity and reality check happening you know, in, in the context. It allows that to surface. That's just the opportunity. Allowing for that opportunity to exist is super valuable.
1: That's interesting. So having to f- recognize that there is ambiguity in the world or in a problem, or maybe we don't have all the answers, You know, what, what would you say to someone, Carla, who's never even considered that? They have all the ideas, they're type A personality, they're running ahead to get this done, that done, run a project, lead a, lead a circumstance. What would you tell that person who maybe hasn't had that moment to have that reality check? Or- I think there is a lot
0: of places, but I think a lot of this starts with the self right uh, to some extent at least to me and that was my experience throughout the book as well it it it's not necessarily something you you know you have to accept first that you don't know like right and to accept to not know sometimes you need to engage with something which makes you very uncomfortable for example I went on like probably four or five years and I decided I want to sing (laughs) my goal was not to sing really I wanted to improve my you know communications and like speaking skills but I went and like tried to do opera singing for them, you know, and to me that was like you know I I knew ahead of time I don't know anything about this going into <laughs> it like right and sometimes engaging in these things like traveling to a new place so that sometimes helped, like speaking a new language trying something completely new where you actually know you don't have the answers is sometimes a great place to start because it exposes you it gives you a taste of what it's like on the other side like right where yeah you don't know the answer and pick something you really know you don't know the answer not something where you're like "Eh," you know you're being playful with and this is where extremes come into play like i'm not a fan of extremes and the notion negative notion where it is like you know go all the way to the extreme and be an extremist no but i teasing the extremes like teasing things where are to an edge where you're not comfortable with is i think super valuable because it shows you things which were outside of your radar T.S. Elias says something which I think is really, really interesting. It's, he says, we are distracted from distraction by distraction. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and 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 that brings into light that you know there are always there is a context which always exists, which we're not aware of, but it always exists. And the fact that we're staying clear of it, it is, is what's happening, like right. And that brings it to like that's why go, you know, try something new which you were uncomfortable with. It can be something can be writing a book you know it can be there are so many different dimensions within your means to do that
1: that really resonates with me you know early on in my career on wall street i was feeling a bit stuck and i got passed over for a couple of promotions And i was getting really frustrated and i honestly i was i kind of ran out of tricks and i went to a mentor and asked him you know what should i do here i'm really kind of i'm not sure where to go next and honestly, your advice was exactly what he gave me. He said, go do something outside the company, You know, volunteer your time, learn a new skill set to help round yourself out. And in fact, I went and did fundraising for an independent, independent film festival. And holy cow, I mean, just completely changed my perspective on things. And for me, the power of that was just gaining this whole new perspective that I could take and apply back to my job, but from a completely new lens. So I'm curious what the opera singing did for you in terms of that and how it changed your perspective
0: yeah you know it's it's the same as like this lens and like this new way of seeing things is 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 super powerful to me opera singing you know we really not understand fully what goes into you know the classical arts (laughs) like from breathing from uh, a lot of different things which happen to your body and like to to you as a person but for me the biggest thing in opera singing was the vulnerability Like, you know, you open your voice and you sing and you feel like naked, (laughs) like literally. And you bring that as well to other contexts where you realize, you know, you're usually uncomfortable to speak or be present in your own skin and sort of speak, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. And singing helped me kind of see that much better. You know, it was all of these insecurities, all of these things, which kind of I was burying deep down. And then suddenly I was like, you know, loud voice screaming in front of a stranger. And like, imagine that in front of an audience, like, right. You get to do this, like, you know, you literally feel exposed, but it's such a liberating feeling, this exposure. It's not, it's not a negative thing. And yeah, so that's kind of a lens, which I've never imagined I would kind of get or understand any other way, to be honest, engineering. There is no avenue for that to happen anyway.
1: Being vulnerable was liberating. I really appreciate that concept. And you know, another nugget, and I think we're talking around it here, when I did this exercise myself going out to help the film festival, at the end of the day, it was sales. And that's what I was doing. I was selling investment products on Wall Street, yeah. but now I was selling ad sponsors to a film festival, which seems completely different. And what I learned through that experience and what I was able to take from the film festival back to Wall Street was it's not about the product or service, it's about understanding the customer's needs and creating alignment with that, with the right product for them. And that was such an eye-opening experience for me. And when I brought that back to Wall Street, it really helped me take off. So I'm curious how how the opera singing or any things you've done outside have, have impacted your career. Any specific stories there you might share?
0: And my career, absolutely. I think, you know, if we see it back to the vulnerability in a sense, and like going out of that, it gives you more confidence in yourself and like how you express yourself, how you communicate, how you present, right? And it automatically creates this trust and bond. Like, I think we we started with COVID and everyone went remote, but no one was prepared to deal with remote, like realistically, even, even, you know, we've been using Zoom for ages but it's one thing to conduct your whole business over zoom versus in person in person single, there is a every lot every single
1: meeting right
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and in person there's a lot of these things that happen which build the relationship which you have to kind of trigger and part of it is like the authenticity the trust like right those are very challenging i would say to achieve remotely and why because in a remote setting everything is predetermined you have half an hour you're going to be talking about these things and there is no opportunity for this kind of casual interaction like the water cooler conversation there is no this after meeting kind of banter which happens where you actually build you know your relationship with others you're being authentic you share things outside of what's the agenda so to speak And I think this kind of vulnerability comes into play significantly. It allows you to be automatically build this rapport and authenticity and be able to engage in these conversations without being in the room with the same person. And I think that helped me a lot. Like in the last two years, I've been purely operating remote with teams in Norway, Copenhagen and Bangalore, like different sites, different cultures. And it's very hard to, you know, build relationships. And everyone knows like building relationships in person is very different than building relationships online. But it does definitely help me to, you know, bring some of that vulnerability into the conversation and being very honest and like kind of authentic and not necessarily always sticking to the, just the topic, but being comfortable, like diverging because at the end of the day, we're humans. And if we don't have that element, I think we lack a lot. So kind of that brings it, you know, front and front
1: center. So getting this new level of vulnerability through opera singing actually helped you connect Finding ways to be more vulnerable and connecting through your business relationships, being more authentic and in doing so building deeper and, and probably faster relationships. So it oftentimes is a big part of getting business done. Right is is the speed at that you do things. And I find so many times people see vulnerability as a weakness, and I would argue, as I think you just did, which is, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that <laughs> it's a strength. And in fact, it can it may feel painful in the short term, but can accelerate things in the longer term as the relationship builds. But all of this stemmed from you putting yourself into that uncomfortable space, growing, learning, and moving forward. What a great story! Thank you for sharing that.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, yeah, it's been definitely a journey, and it's glad to now be able to share it with the world as well. And I, I hope in this book it kind of uh, culminates that, and people get to experience it themselves.
1: That's awesome. You know, one other theme I want to talk about in the in the book before we move on a little bit is this idea of idea ownership. You talk about, you know what's important about this and how does this play into our our daily lives?
0: Yeah, I I think this is a really, you know, it sits on the fringe of every conversation in a way in the business world and every like in the back mind of people. And I feel it's like really fascinating because it stems of us letting go of certain notions. And I, I bring this concept specifically when we're talking about time, to be honest. And like, idea ownership is like this kind of possession like holding into something and fearing it, it has a lot of different feelings around it and at the same time it's built into our structure of how we you know evaluate how we give promotions all of these things like right and you know this came up through a conversation of one of my interviews uh, lucas huang which he, he was the co-founder of be around medical and uh, he brought this perspective like really that center to him because When he was trying to engage with different stakeholders and push new ideas and he was trying really try to find the best solution like without thinking who owns it and who's you know who's gonna basically lead with it or you know with no filters like right it allows him to really explore these notions because at the end of the day idea ownership limits you it creates a filter automatic filter whether you are conscious of it now or not and it limits how the innovation happens and i think that's very dangerous. Because if we are limiting how we you know share, how we can build on each other, it's 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 a, such a limiting factor. And at the end of the day, we all lose, <laughs> like, right? And I think there is that there is a, a a lesson here to be learned is like it's this very strong filter which always almost goes unnoticed. And we have so many of those. I think I just shared like idea ownership, it was one of the ones which was, I think was very interesting for me to bring front, but we have a lot of these things. We have these pre notions of what things are, what things need to be like all built up from our identities, our stories, you know, and we frame everything based on that. And that's, you know, to some extent creates so much limitation on what we can create and do.
1: Idea ownership constrains innovation. I, I, I don't think I could agree with you more on that one. And I think what it is you talked about identity. If if we say this is my idea, we attach it to our identity, and then if people don't like it or agree with it or say we could do this or that differently, suddenly then it's a personal attack, right? Instead of yeah. instead of solving a problem, creating more value for our clients, customers, what have you, it turns into me versus you and not liking me or my idea. What a, a really interesting bit of context there. You know, one of your your subtitle, right? In pursuit of the right questions, Carlo. How do we determine what those questions are as we look for our reality checks in life?
0: Yeah, great question and a very, very difficult one. Um, that's why I said in pursuit, because there is a you know key aspect to when people read right question, they automatically what comes to mind is like what is a right question when what is not? Like right. And in my research and like exploration, there is no bad or good questions. But what characteristic I've kind of attached to right is this notion of understanding versus knowing. And the question automatically loses its power when it already goes into the realm of knowing. So, and that happens usually when you already have an answer or when you have only one answer. And the reason that happens is, you know, the right questions are trying to explore something. They're trying to, if you ha- don't have a window to say that there is not only one answer, and this is more of an understanding, not a knowing, because knowing is limiting. When you say, I know something, it's like you've already. You know, that's it, you made the block. Uh, but when you say you understand, you keep the possibility that there might be multiple understanding. And the right questions are, are, are very good at surfacing that. And uh, to me, what the wrong question is, a wrong question is a question which already knows what the answer is, or a question which already assumes that there is only one answer. Automatically, uh, you're kind of removing all the power from the question, <laughs> from the get-go. And it's like, no longer have wheels to run on.
1: So limiting, and it really constrained it can constrain the possibility of outcomes and maybe finding a, a better one, right? What a what an interesting way to frame that. When you think about the book and the book journey, Carlo, and as you've gone through it, you've written, you've done all this research. You know, how has the book changed you? And what do you think you've learned about yourself along the way?
0: Absolutely. I think it was a reality check in and by itself for me, <laughs> going through the whole process. Like I I named the book and like I kind of went through the process. And towards the end, I just, I tell it like flat out is like the experience by itself was a reality check and understanding myself, my limitations, how I saw the world to some extent, which changed, to be honest, you know, coming from engineering, you have this mindset of like control and manage and like, you know, these constraints and to some extent early on, the book was very framed on that notion. And as I went through it and you know, kept to learn more and more, this is where this knowing to understanding you know started to change and evolve and understanding really how much you know that we can be anything we want to be one and then really it is it is so difficult to see things prioritize them but at the same time it's so easy like right it's just a matter of letting go of so many things which we you know we assume are us like we you know creates these limitations and We are much more expansive than that, for sure. And if there is any reality check, I think at the end of the day for me, which was particularly revealing is, you know, there is no limit to what we can achieve, who we can be. And automatically that allows us to address anything. And suddenly it becomes easier to see what really is the key thing to address. When you know yourself so well, at the same time, you're open to more things, not only just what you know, That kind of, if you want, paradox creates this reality check. It is really a paradox to some extent, because it has both elements simultaneously. It's not either or.
1: You've got to be open to a range of possibilities, right? Can't go into these circumstances personally, professionally, with with an answer in mind and knowing the answer to the question, right? Genuinely being curious, being authentic, being vulnerable, accepting that you might be wrong and that there's a better solution. I, I really appreciate that. And I love that your book the title uh, was a reality check for you. I I hear this many times that uh, authors say my book was written for me as the first reader, right? Yeah. Uh, So given all of these, given this journey you've been on, Carla, what's been an unexpected positive for you from writing your book? One of the one is this clarity, which I
0: gained and I've kind of started to realize articulating certain things. Well, first off, I think the biggest difficulty in writing a book is actually articulating your thought, not having your thoughts. The thoughts are always there, articulating them is a whole different challenge, right? And I think throughout the process, something which was not necessarily an expected outcome was this clarity you gain and like, you know, bringing forth thoughts and in in an accessible manner, like which I think is, is usually very difficult. I feel we all have something to say, but saying it is so, so difficult. And that, I think, was, I did not expect that. I wasn't really aiming to get that at the end. And it just happened along the way. And I think that's fascinating. It's really the power of uh, when you're engaging in this kind of process, how it shapes, how you structure
1: and deliver things. How we get our story out there, how we make it compelling, and how we make it understandable, right? So there's clarity to it. and, And people know what the heck we're talking about. That's awesome. What would you say, Carla? what is the key message that you want readers to take away from your book on reality check?
0: One of the key elements was this notion of understanding and knowing, and which really ties down that we really can achieve the impossible as long as we really kind of rehone on trying to ask what the right questions are. And that kind of teased down to that, right? My answer to how we can get better at questions or the right questions, one of it is having more of the reality check moments. And if anything, I would like people to leave either with a reality check moment through reading out. They realize something resonates with them where they feel this is what happened to me. I can build or see things differently now. And if that happens, mission accomplished.
1: <laughs> I, if I can see things differently now, take a new stance, not be so set in my ways and, and open my lens to maybe not necessarily a bigger but or better, but different possibilities yeah. that can open up our minds and help us come to a better solution at the end of the day, I think is what I'm hearing. That's an awesome message. Carla. now you've gone to Notre Dame. You've gone to Georgetown. You've written a book. You just never seem to stop the educational journey. you uh putting all this great content out in the world. What's next for you, my friend? So
0: what's next? I, I'm building a little bit around the book. I started this Reality Check Institute. With my technology background, I'm not only doing a book, but I'm doing a platform as well where people get to engage in, in a more interactive way in the exercises in the book. So I'm building around that notion. And that's the next uh, step forward in creating a community of change makers that can actually try to address the right problems, try to see the world in different lenses, and a community where we can all collaborate and share to basically build a better world.
1: A community movement. You've got resources out there to find out and learn more and build their own journey and, and maybe join your community. Carlo, if people want to learn more about this content and, and you, where might they go?
0: yes uh, so you can go to realitycheck.institute so it's just like realitycheck.institute this is my website you will find uh, all information about the book the platform the community you know advisory consulting services anything you think of if you need help a lot of free tools and you know workbooks that are available as well for you to download and engage with
1: that is awesome more resources for the world to learn how to find their own reality check I did want to share one great quote for the book that, we, that you got from Ellie Tuma. I, uh, I enjoyed the stories and reality check. Carlos' authenticity and integrity shine through with each lesson and takeaway. Furthermore, the breadth of interviews and concepts inspired me to better understand myself and the world around me. Ellie Tuma, Director of Client Solutions at Energy Sciences and authors, author of Haneem. How did it feel to get that quote from Ellie?
0: It sounds uh, great to hear feedback on uh, really touching people. I think at the end of the day, that that's the best thing you for then end up happening.
1: That is fantastic. Carlo's book, Reality Check, in pursuit of the right questions, will be available this spring, wherever you buy books online, 2022. Carlo, great to see you. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you so much, John. It's, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it.
1: Go out and get Carlo's book as soon as you can and definitely check out his website, I'm your host of the creator community, John Saunders. Keep moving forward.